From Buffalo, Toronto Public Media and WBFO, this is Buffalo What's Next, Producers Picks. Highlights of conversations heard on previous episodes. Today, Hispanic community activist Alex Burgos talks about the dangers of hateful rhetoric like that of conservative pundit Michael Knowles, who recently appeared at the University of Buffalo. What worries me more is people who subscribe to that belief set and act on it in ways that infringe on our humanity, in ways that hurt people, in ways that look like what we saw last year in Buffalo. We'll hear from a group discussion from a local youth group who have extensive thoughts on their hometown, the future, and race. If I keep bullying you, you know what I mean? Like, you're not doing nothing. It's like, yeah, I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it because you're not going to do nothing. So it's just like, like, now it's time for that bully kid to come back and, and hold his own. And as the black people, that's what I'm on. And Anthony Pierce of the Wakanda Alliance takes us on a tour of Villacon, the event at Villa Maria College that highlights passions like comics, cosplay, and animation. You don't, you don't feel odd anymore. If you come to a comic convention, you don't feel out of place, you don't feel dorky, you don't feel geeky. And if you, if you feel geeky, you might find somebody who's geekier than you and totally cool with it, totally comfortable with it. So I think it's a great, a great way to find your comfort zone and, and find your people. That's all ahead on Buffalo What's Next Producers Picks. First, Hispanic community activist Alex Burgos. The visit of uh, Michael Knowles to the University of Buffalo campus. Yes. What prompted you to get involved? Um, you know, I think Michael Knowles uh, coming here um, to Buffalo, the city of Buffalo, particularly after um, making his comments about uh, transgenderism needing to be eradicated from public life, uh, is particularly jarring, especially with the levels of trauma that the city of Buffalo has experienced um, over the past several years, especially within the last year. Um, I also think Michael Knowles being such a huge proponent of things such as replacement theory um, is also extremely jarring, right? And so when folks and you know, when organizers of the University of Buffalo protest um, invited me to speak, I went with a very deep sense of purpose, and uh, I knew that I needed to convey the message um, in a way that uh, was not only very um, assertive, but also in a way that felt uh, very down-to-earth for the community that I represent, right? So I am Hispanic, um, but I am also a member of the LGBT community. And so uh, with that being said, it's incredibly important that uh, we make strides to take care of the most vulnerable folks in our community. Um, and those people are, for example, like trans people of color, um, who probably uh, feel the effects of comments like Michael Knowles and legislation directed towards the trans community um, the most. And I think when you look at things like some of the, you know, over 300 anti-LGBTQ bills that have been introduced around the country, um, at its best, uh, it's an infringement, but at its worst, for the most vulnerable people in our community, it is a death sentence. So, uh, we need to be loud, we need to be proud, and uh, we need to fight back in the face of injustice. Do you feel that uh, here in Buffalo, in New York State perhaps more broadly, those types of pieces of legislation have no chance, have no bearing, or is there need, does there still need to be a vigilance in regards to that to make sure such things don't arrive in this community? 
Um, I think the greatest enemy to progress is complacency, right? And comfort. Um, I think when we grow too comfortable, uh, that's when things happen. Uh, I think when there uh, isn't understanding or enough outreach and education on things like civic engagement um, in underserved communities, um, that is when our ability to advocate for ourselves, our ability to protect one another ultimately is hindered, right? And so um, I don't think in the current state of the world, any place is truly 100% safe, right? And so we need to make sure that even though we are making great progress and we're making strides, that advocacy continues to evolve and shift in many different ways, um, but that our advocacy also goes down into a community level where we're giving folks, um, you know, spaces to decompress, spaces to feel safe, spaces to be themselves, spaces to ask questions, um, and ultimately continuously providing that education and re-educating ourselves, right? So um, as folks who are advocates of the community continue to push the needle forward. I'm glad that you brought up replacement theory. And before we sat down and went live on the air, you mentioned that Mr. Knowles is an advocate or has been an advocate of replacement theory. Yes. We, um, you know, we're here having this show right now because of what happened on May 14th. Yes. May 14th has been directly attached to replacement theory. Yes. And I don't, I don't necessarily want to get into a huge discussion about it in this regard, but I still think it, it highlights kind of what you're saying. Complacency can be dangerous. Yes. And we've seen what can happen here in the city of Buffalo. Let's talk just a little bit about replacement theory. You Obviously, it's something that caught your attention and you wanted to address. What are you hearing in that regard? Who are, I mean, it, it, to me, I recall hearing about it on May 14th, and I couldn't believe such a thing even existed. I, I, I mean, I, I have to plead that type of ignorance. What about that? I mean, are, are, is that still something that has, has some sort of strong backing? I mean, I, I find it hard to believe. Um, you know, I would, I would say so. I mean, if whether the number, you know, I'm not so much concerned. Well, I am concerned with the number of followers it may have, but I'm more concerned with the impact that it has. Right, the way that it propels people to do such um, evil and inhumane acts. Um, so you know whether. It has a million followers or it has three followers. Uh, at the end of the day, um, the number of followers is important, but the acts that coincide with it are the more scary thing, right? Because if there's a million people that they believe in it, but they do nothing with it, um, and there are three people, or there are three people who believe in it and they do something horrible, uh, you know, it, it comes, it, it makes you ask yourself, well, which one is worse? I don't know, um, but ultimately, I think the number of people who do subscribe to that belief set is dangerous, but what worries me more is people who subscribe to that belief set and act on it in ways that infringe on our humanity, in ways that hurt people, in ways that, what, like what we saw last year in Buffalo, um, result in such horrific and traumatizing tragedy. And also people who fan the flames of that as well. What did you make of uh, 
let's not talk about necessarily the UB administrative response to Michael Knowles being on campus. What about what you saw on campus when you were there? What was the sense? What was the feeling? Um, were you encouraged? Well, you know, I saw two sides. Uh, well, I saw that everyone there uh, was practicing their right to free speech and freedom of expression. Uh, but I saw two sides of the of the token, right? I saw folks who are on his side, folks who reinforce and have those same or at least some of those beliefs. And then I saw us, the side I was on, of folks who don't have those beliefs. And I think it's all about intention, right? And that was one of the key takeaways from that. What is the intention of each side? And I think, I think people are smart. And I think people need to look at what the intention is and accept the truth, right? And that can be very uncomfortable for a lot of people, especially um, when they may be on the side of someone like Michael Knowles, right? Confronting what it is that those belief sets hold, what they perpetuate, um, what the real intention and purpose is behind them. Um, I imagine that if folks did some self-reflection and understood uh, what isn't what those beliefs entail, um, it would probably be a very uncomfortable moment of realization, right? Uh, versus the side I was on, um, we were promoting love. We are promoting freedom. We are promoting autonomy. We are promoting equity. Um, and, uh, you know, myself, even being on that side, I always reflect on the ways in which I can be um, a better ally, a better advocate, um, a better leader for the community. Um, and I hope that people do that reflection, that they do that work, right? I'm not the kind of person that necessarily subscribes to things like cancel culture right. or completely um, disregarding people of any opportunities of redemption. I do hope that uh, people do that work that they need and that they can um, that they can also heal. It's interesting to use the word intention, though, and that that really is a a, a good way, or at least it's a, a a clear way of looking at this idea of allowing someone to speak and speak their, their mind at the same time. Like you said, there is a, an underlying intention, it does seem, yes. on, under these political, or I don't know if they're political, philosophical well, views. They are. Yeah. Um, then we look to the University of Buffalo, the administrative uh, administration. And I just also, also want to point out, I spoke to one individual whose transgender daughter is a University of Buffalo student, and as he pointed out, his transgender daughter paid student activity fees that funded Mr. Knowles' visit to the University of Buffalo. What about that? Is there a sense that maybe the administration should have stepped in? Or was it at the end of the night saying, we've, we've established who we are, we've established opposition to this individual, we've done what we could, um, he has a right to speak. You know, I, I don't know if I can necessarily speak on that because I don't have full knowledge and all the policies in place at the University of Buffalo and, you know, what happens behind closed doors, right? And I don't want to make an assumption of what um, any intended or 
you know, any responses were behind the scenes from administration. But what I will say is that what we can do is continue to work um, with, you know, administration at the University of Buffalo as community leaders, as advocates, and students um, who, like you mentioned, do pay their student dues to fund activities um, to make sure that everybody feels included, that everybody feels safe, and that everybody feels welcome. From a personal standpoint, you know, I stand in rejecting any hateful rhetoric, and I don't believe that it should be welcomed here in um, Buffalo or Western New York. Um, but that all starts with working with the people who can make those decisions, right? Um, and so for me, I am, I try, you know, it's important to look back for a reference point on what not to do or what to do. But in this case, this is something where I'm looking forward, right? How can we make sure that our, you know, that our, our community here in Buffalo, the LGBT community, and students that go to UB feel protected going forward? Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, unfortunately, we don't always get things right. Uh, we're not always perfect. But uh, in knowing that and recognizing mistakes that have been made, and remembering those mistakes, we can create better policy that is more inclusive and fosters a safe environment for everybody going forward. Can you imagine a future where, like you said, that rejection of hate is so common that that type of hateful speech is totally on the margins? Can you picture that in this country? Well, you know, when you look at things like the history of you know, racism, homophobia, transphobia, um, it, it's always evolved into ways that are more acceptable, right? So when you look at the history of, you know, racism, for example, uh, we had things like slavery, right? And then when that was no longer the law of the land, we had things like segregation. And when that was no longer the law of the land, um, we have arguably what we have now, right? Where we have, you know... Um, There's still know, structures in place that yes, are... Yes, absolutely. I, I mean, you know, even looking as most recently in 2016, uh, the way in which the rhetoric has shifted and evolved um, and has gotten so much more extreme on the right... Uh, I think is an example of how this evolves, right, into ways that are more acceptable for the time. And though I don't consider it to be acceptable, um, nor I imagine my community does, um, I think, you know, rhetoric such as uh, promotion of things like replacement theory are the ways in which um, that cultural malignancy uh, continues to evolve, right? So... As I mentioned earlier, we can never truly go grow comfortable or complacent because the ways in which bigotry and hate and um, infringements on our rights and freedoms, uh, you know, continue will always evolve. And so we always have to be prepared to tackle the next challenge. And, you know, as folks, you know, who do work in the community, we have to remember that this is not just about us or the people that are here now. We are stewards for the people who are going who are going to come after us. And so continuing to maintain and build upon that framework of progress um, is also just as important. 
Community activist, Alex Burgos. Also, we recently sat down at Say Yes Buffalo on Jefferson Avenue for conversations with the 4-H Youth After School Program through the Cornell Cooperative Extension of Erie County. My name is Jaden Phillips. I am 15 and I am a student at Kinesis High School. Hi everyone, my name is Giselle Manuel. I am 17 and I'm a senior at Davinci High School. Jamie and Uti, 23 years young, Youth Sport Management Program Manager. I'm Sherman Webb Middlebrooks. I'm 31 and I'm a lifelong Buffalo resident, full-time black man. My name is Sarah Jablonski. I'm a 4-H educator with Cornell Cooperative Extension of Erie County. While the guests may be new to the program, they were asked some familiar questions. The first, what do you like about Buffalo? Many of the answers were edited for time. And as for Jaden, he expressed a spirit shared by many 15-year-olds, whether it's from today or 45 years ago. You could say there's new opportunities, but like in other states and other cities, too, like it's more out there. Uh, better opportunities, better living conditions. This is so funny because I feel like I'm always talking with Jaden about the the benefits and the qualities of Buffalo because I feel like the young brother sitting across from me is only is only 15 years young to use Jamie's term, and, and maybe he hasn't had the chance uh, to experience all the great things that this city has to offer, and I also don't feel like he has enough an appreciation for the historical significance of this place that we call home. Um, so I would just say that for me personally, there is a tremendous amount of, like I just said, historical significance um, with this area, whether it's the, the city with lights, uh, being the final stop on the Underground Railroad, the Erie Canal, the grain elevators, all the, the architecture, the, the parks. All of those special things from yesteryear, but also going forward, I think the greatest part of living in this city not only um, is its past, but also the potential uh, of this place. It's almost like a blank canvas. So, for multiple reasons, uh, I love the, the place I call home, but I'll just leave it there. Buffalo is a rough buff. We don't get our name for no reason. Um, I'm kind of a little iffy on the city of good neighbors, but I'm with that too. It's a lot of room for me to grow within my city, but then also a lot of room for the city to grow within the city. Um, and yeah, that's why I love Buffalo. It's small, um, mm -hmm. tight knit. Like it's just, yeah, it's just that's that's my style of, of living. And like I said, it's biased because I was born and raised here. I can definitely tell where Jaden's coming from because as I was like, I'm not gonna say as I was growing up because I'm only still 17, but as I came to a realization early in age that. I don't really like how it is here. Like, maybe it's like something has to change. That change isn't just going to happen. I have to either make that change myself or find people that's going to help me do it. I love my city, but at the same time, I'm trying to decide whether I should let it go or stay here. Our panel was also asked about May 14th, the day of the racist attack on the tops, located just a few blocks from where our conversation was occurring. Hmm, it's kind of tough for me to share, but... When I found out I was at home and uh, my mom came home and she was like having like a little, she was a little shook up and I was like, as being the oldest child, I, you know, actually was wrong, took care of her. And that's when I started seeing my friends were texting me to see if everyone was okay because I had friends who lived over there so we were all texting to see if everyone was okay. And that's when I found out what happened. And only another reason why I really found out what happened because we were all texting my uncle, my like my cousins and them that lived over there, 
and that was the same day I had found out my uncle had passed away in the hospital for a disease, like an illness he had. So it was really heartbreaking for me because it was like I was scared, concerned for my friends that lived over there, but also I lost a loved one to a disease in a hospital. So it was really heartbreaking for me, and it really shook up my family because my mom was already one to over-worry. Like, she loves her kids, but she doesn't want them to grow up in an environment where they have to feel scared all the time. So for me to see my mom, like, every store she went into, she was, like, insecure. The only first thing she looked for was every single exit inside the store, whether she was looking for any exit, anywhere she can get out, anywhere she can hide, anywhere. And that's saying something as, like, it is, like, my mom is, like, my role model. So it's, like, seeing her act like this really shook me up and it kind of really scared me and it hurt me to see how my mom had to react and act like this. I'm not going to lie, I was kind of scared, like, going to, like, different stores after that because there was a bunch of rumors, too, like, days after about how there's, like, friends or so doing that in other stores and then there was a McDonald's incident where somebody brung a gun and then police retained it. So that was pretty much it for the most part. On May 14th I was very pregnant. I had a baby on June 16th and I think I was actually really tired so I was napping. It was a very warm beautiful day. I remember hearing children playing outside when I woke up and then I checked my phone a friend from California had texted, is everybody okay in Buffalo? So then I looked at the news and saw the information about what was happening. Then I started, I actually texted Sherman. That was one person who I knew works at the, was working near, very nearby and because he does programs on the weekends. That was, um, I live on the west side, but it's really only like a mile and a half from my house. Um, so. I'm not sure that I think I texted a few other young people that day. There's a number of graduates from our program who I still talk to. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, fortunately, everybody I reached out to was okay, but it was it was surreal, especially since the kids continued to play outside. And I looked outside and I was like, what's going on? And then I, I mean, I was pregnant, so I um, was very shaken by it. It was a difficult time to be happy about being about to have a baby. Mm. I was I was really worried and, and really, just really deeply saddened. Sherman Webb Middlebrooks also recalls nice weather on May 14th. After working much of the early day, he and a friend spent the afternoon down at the waterfront, trying to stay away from their busy phones. When he heard what had happened, his mind began taking a quick turn. That's the same tops that like my mom goes to because she lives in this neighborhood. And when my grandma was alive, I used to take her and my grandma to that tops. And my, my grandfather, who lives upstairs from my mom, he goes to that tops. And he was just there the day before. And so like that was kind of spooky for me, just thinking about how close it could have been with him being like a 80-year-old black man. Like he would have definitely been a target. Like many, the reality of May 14th began to seep in as details became available. Then the next day, I started realizing like the effect and the impact it had on everybody in the community, and I finally let it sit with me. And then I couldn't leave my house until the 18th because I just had like this level of anger. Like where I come from, like I don't, I love Dr. King, but I'm more Malcolm. You're not, I'm not turning the other cheek. I'm gonna get my lick back one way or another.
You're not getting it over on me. I'm getting, I'm going even the score. I'm going to get my lick back. And I wanted my lick back. And that meant they posted his mama address. I wanted to go see his mama. I wanted to make his family, his community, feel the same way they made my family and my community feel. But then I looked at my little daughter and I realized I would be crashing out and taking myself away from her to go get my get back. And I just couldn't leave the house for three days because if I got in my car, I was driving to Broome County. And so I, I saw what folks in the community were doing. And then some folks who I love held a community healing circle. And I just decided, like, I right, this is going to be the time where I step out. So that was, like, my experience with that. But I had to process it myself, understand those emotions, think it through, and then show up for other people in the community because I'm expected to be there and hold space for others. And I couldn't. And I was just glad that folks were strong enough at that time to hold space for people like me who wanted to crash out and do something dumb. Just vividly just remember pacing back and forth from the porch inside the house. Just like, yo, this is crazy. And everything then felt like it was moving in slow motion. Like just that that day for the, from when I found out was, was mad long. And it was just like, yeah. And kind of what Sherman said, like, excuse me, it took me some time to be able to get to a space where he was at because it was like, yeah, I... I don't really know. It wasn't that I was acting out of fear. It was like, nah, I'm, somebody gonna get hurt. Like, so I'm, I'm better off like not, not doing anything and just staying in the house for that weekend. But uh, I'm gonna give a shout out to uh, Daniel Robertson and Tommy McClam because mm -hmm. they had uh, hosted a like a, like basically like a, just a, 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 um, a conversation. If if you need it, come talk and like yeah, we just chopped it up and I needed that because then that powered me, um, to get through the week and. I wasn't really trying to speak to nobody. I was trying to stay to myself, but it was a matter, like Sherman said, just taking the time away. Just, yeah, things still have to happen, so that was a nice space for them to, to be able to provide to speak on, but then also, like, sit in my own, like, um, thoughts and feelings to be able to cope and understand that, like, like like your uh, man said, Sherman, um, I'm not going to let no one put fear in my heart. Like, I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm stepping out the house. I'm doing what I got to do. Mm -hmm. And, like, ever since then, I, you know, I, um, I didn't took that approach and I still do. So, yeah. This segment of Buffalo What's Next features conversations with members of the 4-H Youth Weekly After School Program. And a special thanks also to the Erie County Youth Bureau and the Erie County Restorative Justice Coalition. We also asked about the response on Buffalo's east side in the days, weeks, and months after May 14th. As someone who lives on the east side, I saw a lot of the people there were actually just calling family from like making sure everyone was okay. Mm -hmm. I saw a lot of people actually going out of their way to go down there to make sure people were okay, make sure people had that support. They were having like relief circles anywhere. Like a lot of the uh, places they had down there were helping people. That idea of City of Good Neighbors actually came into play because people were like, like I said before, they were having, they were giving out relief stuff. They were giving out anything, anybody needed, anybody support. They were helping, they were help any much help they needed. Everyone was helping each other. So being proudly from the East Side, I'm very proud of my Black African American East Side Buffalo. It really speaks to the fact that Black people in general in America are at times to our own detriment some of the most forgiving, accepting people who ever walked the face of the earth. Like, one of the, the biggest fears that was present in the minds of folks during um, slavery was, oh, if you, give them, if you let them be free, they're going to come back and kill us all for revenge. And yet we have never done that, despite the hundreds of years of wrongful dehumanizing treatment that we've received. We've never gotten our lick back. 
Um, and so that just showed again that a lot of people felt the way that I felt, but were able to take the time to process through those natural human emotions. I don't know if not doing anything was the answer. Like 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 you said, Sherman. Not to keep bringing you up, but like it's just helping me think a bit more clear in terms of being real within myself, but then also the situation of like, when is this gonna stop? Harsh things are done. We respond to doing nothing about it, and then it's just a, oh yeah, that was so tough, and it's just like like on some real. I'm tired of having conversations like that, and so it's like I, I respect all the resiliency in terms of Buffalo not doing anything, but it's it's a. I ain't saying, I ain't promoting violence now, but I'm just saying, like, if somebody was to come up to Tops and, and handle their business, whatever the case may have been, or took a trip down there, it's like, what, we was going to be in the wrong? Because it's almost like a bully. Like, you, if yeah. I keep bullying you, you know what I mean? Like, you're not doing nothing, it's like, I'm yeah, I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it because you're not going to exactly do nothing. That's do. So it's just like, like, now it's time for that bully kid to come back and, and hold his own. And as the black people, that's what I'm on. Um, and I'm, I'm going to drop the mic there. If I can just jump in Please. on the tail end of that, because I appreciate everything you said, and we have had those conversations. I tell all the young people I work with when I do social-emotional learning with kids after school, I'm a reformed bully. So when we talk about bullies, I speak bully. I used to be a bully. So like I know what it's like, and we're not going to do nothing unless we have a come-to-Jesus moment, <laughs> or you got a big brother that kind of beat you or put you in your place, which is what happened with me. Luckily, I got a big brother and didn't have to come in the streets. But like... Not, you're not going to stop until you can beat me. And whoever whoever can exert their physical dominance and will makes the rules. That's how it's always been throughout history. If you can exert your physical will, you make the rules. And things people only respect is money, blood, and bullets, unfortunately. And to wrap up our talk on this segment of Buffalo What's Next, the question, what does Buffalo need? Again, Sherman Webb Middlebrooks. Investment in young people, financial investment, experiential opportunities, and we need to invest in the adults who invest their time, talents, and energy in young people. Talking to teachers, I'm talking daycare providers, after school programs like us, parents providing support, that all of that trickles back down to our babies. And so we got to support our babies, but we also got to support the people who are investing our babies. Because I heard one teacher share at one of these meetings I was at, but like, if you don't feed the teachers, they will start eating the babies. And so I see a lot of parents that's not getting their spirits and their hearts and their minds fed, and they start turning on and eating their kids and dimming the light in their own babies because they didn't achieve their goals and nobody encouraged them and nobody believed in them. And so they, they perpetuate that against their kids. And when I work with, with parents in this community, when you believe in them and, and show like support for them, they in turn believe in their kids more. They show support for their kids more. So I think we got to support these kids by also supporting these parents and adults who take time away from their families to support other people's kids. So that's what our city needs, investment in these young people and watch the return that we get on it. I don't know, there's so much stuff that needs to be changed, to be honest. Uh, we need new ideas. We just need like uh, younger officials. Like, I'm not gonna lie, I don't want, not old, like, I don't wanna say old, but like the officials like here, like their ideas are kind of like old school and like newer, they're in with the new so they know what needs to be changed and more investments into uh, programs. I believe that we need to change policies and practices 
but we can't do that without racial healing first. Mm -hmm. I'm an, in an educational organization uh, as a 4-H educator, and you also can't solve racial injustice without working with white people. We created the problem. We need to be part of the solution. I'm the only white person. Okay, Jay, you're white too. Um, I'm the only white person in this group normally. And we, with this event, we did want more white people there. But we need to have the conversations more. I mean, we need to have them in white spaces. We need to have them in other spaces, affinity groups. But I know as a white person, I need to have this conversation more. So I really want to continue working in 4-H to bring young people together and but you can't do that without leadership, strong leadership with people of color, youth of color. We have a few young people here who are clearly leaders, right? And mm -hmm. so that's why, that's why I'm here because we need to have um, the leadership from across the community speaking up to educate, share experiences, and eventually, not eventually, I mean right now we need policies and practices to change too. But I don't think we're gonna be successful without changing hearts and minds through education. What does Buffalo need? We need to get on our bully in terms of a lot of things. I know that's that's some of the folks in the audience might not understand the colloquial term which you're using, sir. I think we're getting ahead. <laughs> uh, we just gotta we just gotta get our, our P's and Q's in terms of like handling business and actually standing on it. Like something that uh, Giselle mentioned in terms of like when money comes in, holding those accountable to the money, um, the policy changes and, and makers. You know, they need to be held accountable in terms of whatever their campaign is. We need to pull that back up. Like, yo, you said boom, boom, boom. Um, and then I also I believe in the um, generation gap in terms of just how the thought process is in terms of allowing um, both groups, if you will, to actually sit at the table and bring ideas rather than having a traditional mindset. Um, something that Sarah mentioned, last point, um, in terms of allowing um, the white people in spaces in terms of, you know, their people, if you will, um, that created the, 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 the harm, you know, being in those spaces. I always echo this every time I, you know, try to come into the youth camp space, but then also any space where it is racial healing in terms of having more uh, white participants or audiences. Um, it's great that, you know, uh, as a white person that you, you, you're on my side as an African-American. That's great and all, but, like, I need you to go tell that to your youth. I need you to go tell that to your people. Mm -hmm. um, so with that being said, I appreciate you becoming an ally, but if you really with me, I need you to be willing to – I know it's going to sound crazy and absurd, but I need you to go – um, and be on the other side as if you're willing to die for this because they're coming after you because you're trying to help us. Mm -hmm. And if you really not want that, then, like, I appreciate it, but I can make my own damn sign. I could I could say the same yeah. things that I'm saying if you really not really willing to go there and speak this to your people and really get exiled or whatever the extremes may be um, to really see change and, 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 and um, those type of infrastructure. So with that, I conclude. <laughs> What do we need? I'm going to piggyback on what Jaden said about having, I should say, um, older generations in power. I feel like if these older generations are going to be stuck in their ways that whatever were, whatever was going on with the generation before them and their generation, their generation, I feel like if you're not going to open up to my generation, the generations after me, either you have to give up power and see some type of compromise or you just, you don't deserve the power you have because mm -hmm. you're stuck in your ways that just because it happened in my generation this is what's going to go 
and then you're wondering why education is all messed up as it is. So you're wondering why kids are not coming to school and they're dropping out mm-hmm. or they're doing this, you're doing that. And then you're wondering why parents can't support these kids. And it's just like, you're not helping us in any way. You're stuck in your generation where you had this. It was mandatory to do this, mandatory to do that. We can understand it. If it's mandatory to do this and I can't meet the minimum, we're going to meet the maximum to meet that mandatory. We're, how am I, How is this going to work? Like, you can't sit here and be like, kids are out here paying, like, $200 for senior do just to graduate for a cap and gown. That's ridiculous. And, but you guys over here boasting that Buffalo Public Schools, that they have this education system and this education system, and you talk about something, you guys gave these grants and these grants and these grants, where is that money going to? Because ain't no way I should be, see, people should be seniors in high school more so worrying about making money so they can graduate rather than getting that degree so they can go to college. Rather than trying to focus on their education and get these scholarships, they can actually be something that you want them to be. They shouldn't be out here hustling at a McDonald's just to pay off some senior dues or something. Now they're in debt to their school because they got to pay this, they got to pay that. Just to get an education. That's terrible. Ain't no way parents should be out here working three jobs with like five kids and you're talking with some, oh, well, whatever you're doing, you're not working hard enough because your kid's not in school. So then what are you doing as an educator, as a person in power, to help these kids come into this school? What are you doing to help these communities be better? What are you doing to help change these stereotypes? Nothing. So as an older generation, I'm going to say this in my wrap-up. If you cannot help us younger generations, you got to go. Giselle Manuel. Also, we heard from Jamie and Utsi, Jaden Phillips, Sherman Webb Middlebrooks, and Sarah Jablonski. Cornell Cooperative Extension of Erie County's 4-H Youth After School Program. The Afrofuturist group, the Galactic Tribe, recently invited us to join them at Villacon, where animation, cosplay, and comics were just part of the day. Anthony Pierce gave us a tour. What brings uh, the Galactic Tribe to Villacon today? We've had an ongoing relationship with Villacon, or with Villa Maria College. They invited us out to a couple different events throughout the past few years. Um, everything from like a cultural day to local uh, organization day. And so, you know, they put a lot of trust in us and went, they wanted to do something big this year. So we said, we can give y'all something big. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Anthony, I got to ask you. So I, I got to meet you over at the Delavan Grider for your event over there uh, back in, after Thanksgiving. And here we are today. Both times, you've been dressed a little differently, okay? Yeah. Now, what about today? What am I seeing today? All right, so today I was going to do a full outfit. You know, cosplay is really big. Um, I've done cosplay before. Today is kind of just toned down. I was going to do, so it's also my birthday weekend, by the way. Oh, happy birthday. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm an Aries, and so I decided to twist my locks in the shape of a ram. So that's what I'm going with today. I'm just being a full-out Aries. I'm super excited. Um, turning a good age. I'm, I'm always turning a good age because I'm loving life every year. So nice. Yeah. Nice. You know, I got to sit in a little bit before for your presentation earlier, and, and I haven't seen you do pre- presentations before. I'm fascinated by the amount of research you do, and you know, we, you're considered an Afrofuturist, mm-hmm. but you look back to find, it seems to me, things for the future. And it was interesting that the story you told me about astrology or not oh, astronomy rather that, yeah, that, yeah. that developed in Africa tell me that story yeah so um, the Dogon tribe I forgot exactly which region they're from but they found ways to chart the stars using very minimal instruments in order to see where the major stars were things that a lot of uh, we'll say Western uh, astronomers didn't find until let's say thousands of years later 
right? And the, the, the funny part is, or the interesting part is that they got, according to their myth, they got it from some aliens who descended to the, to the earth, right? And so that might be far-fetched because of our cultural history, but to them, that's what they know as their cultural history. So it's interesting how accurate they were because they were actually like super accurate when they, when they figured this out. And isn't that kind of, as I learn and learn and learn, mm. that it's kind of a common thing of sorts, unfortunately, that things that came out of Africa have kind of not gotten the, the light that they deser it deserves? Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's absolutely why we do what we do. It's because there is truth out there. There are people who don't want you to know the truth, but there's people who, who can share the truth, and the truth is gonna set everybody free. So uh, we're just on a mission to, to, to awaken up who, whoever's gonna listen, no matter what their demographic is, if they respect the information, they respect the people who the information is coming from, we have an opportunity to build there. Now, let's talk about Villacon. Now, have you been to Comic-Cons before? Yes, I have. Tell me about those. Yeah, I haven't been to like the New York Comic Con right. or San Diego, but I've been to ones here in Buffalo, New York, which are, they're great. Like they have a lot of different uh, outfits. I've seen full-size Transformers, people in like big suits moving around. So I've seen that. Um, I've also been to Blurred Con. That was one of my first out-of-town experiences. And Blurred Con, um, bl Blur stands for Black Nerd, right? We had to have our own language um, to maintain our own space. And that was important because for that very reason I just stated is that we, you know, sometimes a black person will cosplay as a non-black character. And even though they love the character, they'll get flack for it. They'll be said, oh, you can't wear your hair like that. You can't have that skin and wear that outfit. You know, so that's why we had to establish our own spaces. And so BlurCon was that opportunity. It's in DC, which is Chocolate City, you know? And so to be surrounded by a bunch of people who, who know the assignment, who look like me, who talk like the people I recognize, and like there wasn't like any secret codes. It was just all of our culture but just like the love for anime, the love for comic books, the love for pop culture in general, and it was just a beautiful time. All right, so let's, uh, let's take a walk right. down the hall here at Villa Maria. Yeah. And yeah, if you could, because I gotta be honest with you, yeah. I don't know any of these characters. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd know a few, I don't know any of them. So you know, can you maybe, as we walk along here, we see some of these folks, can you help me go through it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, have you seen any characters you didn't know today? I do, I do every time because okay. there's so much out there and All it's right. like you never know exactly what you're going to find and this also people will mix up their outfits too like they they might do a, a, a Star Wars player or they'll maybe do a cross of a Star Wars and Star Trek okay you know what I'm saying so you never know what you're going to find here alright um, so I got let's see little Totoro that's an anime character a lot of different ears and everything um, and some of these cosplays are really good some of yeah. them are really simple some of them are just p pajamas that people wanted to wear out you know <laughs> anything that shows the love for their outfits. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Well, how about for you? Like, you're, how did you grow into this kind of interest of this type of thing? I just was drawn to it. It was just magnetic. Like, I just, how you doing? I love your outfit. Well, well, who's Are this? You? Well, I'm like, I'm like, can you help me? Can we interview? Can we interview real oh, quick? Yeah. yeah sure. Hi. Oh, well, Anthony. Well, Anthony, why don't you explain? Who, who no do we have here? I have no idea what this outfit is. But okay. I feel like I have an idea. Why don't you tell me? Yeah. What's your? Uh, I'm cosplaying Stolas from Hell of a Boss. Oh my goodness, wow. You went to a great uh, length to, to put this together. Absolutely, yes I did. How long did it take you? Um, well, the tail and the headpiece took me a total of three months total. I had made over 500 feathers, um, but this was a collaboration between me and my friend Ken. Um, they designed the cape and fabricated the peplum, and I did everything else. What do you like about not just the, the character, but just about the, the concept of doing that at this type of event. I like the sense of community. 
Uh, everybody here has been super supportive. Everybody here has told me to enter the costume contest without knowing that I'm judging it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I like that. <laughs> yeah. So everybody here is super supportive, and I just want to give them that support back tenfold that they give me. Nice. Hey, thanks for sharing. Of course. All right. Have a good one. You too. All right. We'll see you later. We'll see you later. Oh, here we go. Hi. Hey. Hi. Hi, guys. What's going on? I actually know. These characters I actually know. All right. Tell you all to explain the characters to me. All right. So first we got T'Challa Star-Lord. So this is a mix that came from uh, a show called What If, where Marvel imagines, like, what if this happened? What if instead of being born in Wakanda or being raised in Wakanda, T'Challa was taken by uh, aliens? Yeah. Not Nandu? Yandu. 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 Um, and he became his own, like this character happened and everybody was like, wow, this is just amazing. So Jordan here, he made his own outfit. He has a, he has a mask that he purchased and he looks really sharp. He does look, he look, looks good. So what drew, drew you to this character? So what drew me to this character was like my friend, he does, we, it's from the Guardians of the Galaxy. He has a group, Guardians of the Galaxy cosplay group. It's like, and we need a star. Like, okay, I'll do one, but like, I'll do a star that I like. So I like, what if came out and Chadwick's one of his last roles as Marvel, so I chose to become Star-Lord T'Challa, T'Challa, Star-Lord. So it's like easier for me to like guys grasp the accents. My, my cosplay go full into character mode, everything. But it's really great to like show, okay, there's some representation with cosplay. And you just like show other kids like, okay, you could do this. Don't worry about who judges like, if you enjoy it. That's the thing about it. Right, it's interesting, you know, Anthony and I were talking about how, you know, he's been to some of these events before and you know, some people might get flack you know, if they're yeah. a person of, uh, of color and they're mm-hmm. dressing up as a white, uh, yeah. you know, white oh character, God, vice right. well, what, what about that for you? So, like, when I, so I have, like, I watch anime, and, like, a lot of anime is okay. If you like character, you're a lot, like, me, sometimes I can guess myself, like, uh, do I want to cosplay as a character? Do I want to get a flack online? Like, then I, then I see other people of color who cosplay as a character. I'm like, no, no, no. They embrace it. Like, no, it's cosplay for everybody, not just because you're saying someone who's, you're supposed to be this character. It's like, no, no, no. It's for everybody. One of the best experiences I went to this thing called Dragon Con. I saw a group of black females cosplay as Sailor, all sailors got from Sailor Moon. Each one, like, representing themselves and they see themselves as a character. Because that's the thing. Like, you see yourself in the character and then become the character. That's the thing about cosplay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice, nice. All right. So, uh, you want to help me with this one, uh, Anthony? Or <laughs> here we go. All right. So, this here's the boss. This here's the emperor. This here's the shogun. This is none other than Shonuf. <laughs> All right. So the Shogun of Harlem. The Shogun of Harlem. So a movie in the 90s. 80s, 80s. Sorry, 80s, 80s, 80s. Um, I was born in the 90s, and I watched it in the 90s, but yeah. it was from the 80s. Um, and it's really just a window into martial arts. Like, black people watching martial arts. What up, Levi? I'm mid-interview, fam. Interview. Oh, <laughs> it's okay. Come on, hop in. It's, it's all good. good. I'll hurt. talk to you. I'll talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. All right, yeah. good. Yeah. All good. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, so uh, the movie was The Last Dragon. And it was a movie about a, a young martial artist who was a black kid. And I'm like, yo, that's dope. I, like, I grew up on Bruce Lee, grew up on Jackie Chan. And then I saw this kid who's in Harlem. And he had such a piece about him that's just really cool. But the antagonist in that movie was Shonuff. And he was a bad mother that I can't say it because some kids just walked by. <laughs> that's right. And I am Shonuff, the Shogun of Harlem. I am the meanest. I am the masterest. I am the baddest low-down mofo around this here town. Who am I? Show, Show enough. enough. Who am I? Show enough. The Shogun of Harlem. That is outstanding. Yes, yes. I like that. And so uh, do you have a name when you're not, uh, that you want so, to share with us? So when I am not Show Enough, I am Alexander S. McBride or Sloan Alexander McBride. I am a local cosplayer like Jordan. 
I very I portray Spider-Man, so that means I am cosplayer ASM1080. I have been the Joker. Yes, yes, that's right. I have too been the Joker. <laughs> And, like, I, I enjoy cosplay because it allows me to just be different people. I also like acting. But cosplay, it does. It gives me a chance to play, play around characters, and bounce around from characters that before I really didn't think I would get a chance to play. Like, showing up. I mean, of course, I can play showing up because, like, boom, this is a character that's just steeped in the culture. But when you got characters like the Joker or Spider-Man, even though there are windows like you know they created miles morales and things like they like traditionally when people think spider-man they think peter parker mm -hmm. yeah. they don't think miles yeah. or you know things like that so the fact that i can play certain characters and put my spin on them and still have people recognize the character as the character for the authenticity that i bring to it that's awesome and that's a great thing as a cosplayer yeah that's interesting and so uh, that, like you said you, you can kind of change people's perceptions about heroes, right? Heroes, Is that what you're talking heroes about? Heroes and yeah. villains. <laughs> oh, that's right. Villains. Heroes, villains, and all the time. Was Shonuff a villain or a hero? Shonuff was, he was a straight up villain. Straight <laughs> up villain. Because he was sick and tired of these BS Superman stories about the legendary Bruce Leroy. Catch a bullet with his teeth? Catch his bullets with your teeth? Negro, please. <laughs> Shonuff, thank you. You're very welcome. Outstanding. We're taking a tour of Villacon at Villa Maria College on Buffalo What's Next. Leading us through is Anthony Pierce of the Afro-Futurist group, the Wakanda Alliance. The deep question, but I guess this, there's a lot of depth to the people who come to these places. Mm. You know, that this is a place where races, you're, you know, race maybe doesn't matter as much as other places that we find in society. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different characters out there and people just love the characters. People love the stories, people love you know, bonding over characters. Like, I could talk to that Boba Fett guy all day about, like, whatever we're watching, whether it's current or whether it's something from the past. Um, and everybody just gets to appreciate the creativity of it, too, like how much effort goes into making an outfit. Uh, even if it's low effort, even if it's low effort, but it still entertains you, you know? So there's just so many unifying elements here, um, especially when you got different artists of different generations, of different uh, backgrounds, different cultures, different countries, people who are, who are uh, international who might be, uh, foreign exchange students, but also like the same thing that American students do. So now they got something to bond over. Gotcha, gotcha. Hmm. Should we uh, find some more here, or where yeah, do you want to go? Let's go in, let's go in here. Artist Alley. Okay. Have you been down here yet? Uh, that's my first time down here, so okay. we'll see what see what I find. So right. um, there's different sections of the con. Right. Uh, this is primarily for artists who have their own design work, oh, and okay. you know this is this is their their place to, to bond and, and share. Okay, gotcha. All right. Hmm. Well, let's pick something out here. And, uh, well, I'll follow your curiosity. How okay, does that cool. sound? All right. Um, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of fan art here. So fan art, people are drawing characters they already know, but with their own artistic spin. And it's unique because, I mean, you can't really, it's, it's one of a kind. And you might not see this artist, you know, anywhere else or might not see them for another year. And so you want to support them. You want to support how they can take one of the things you like and put their own personal spin on it artistically. So... Um, so yeah, I'll take I'll take okay. you through here. Yeah. Um, a lot of anime characters. Yeah. Um, some people will make their own keychains, stickers, oh. and there's so many devices that people can use. Some people make their things out of yarn. You see, these are made out of yarn. Sure. Um, yeah. So you can make. People are making scarves. People are making dolls. People are making keychains. Um, some people 3D print their crafts. Um, yeah. There's just so much. So is this the kind of thing that we'd see at other? 
Oh know, yeah, for sure. Too. Absolutely. Yeah. Everybody has like an artist alley. Everybody has like a different vending place. But yeah, people are exchanging. So much money's being made. Um, and yeah, it's just a great time. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe we can. Uh, let's check. Oh God, you were gonna point somewhere, or you just? Oh, we got to go out? the other way. Yeah, let's go that. I'll, I'll <laughs> Again, we're following your gotcha, muse gotcha. here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Lead the way here, sir. As we make our way down, and have you spent much time here at Villa? What's going on with that? Um, yeah, we've just been communicating with them to see where we can uh, where, get in, where we can fit in. There's a lot of uh, Villa is known for being a school of the fine arts, including animation. Um, let's see, animation, digital art, game design. You know, all the things that, that I love, you know, for sure. And so when it comes to Wakanda Alliance, being able to bring in our world building aspects um, from, from our perspective, because there's not enough video games out there that feature black characters or people who are non-white. Um, there's not a lot of, there, even animation, like it's few and far between is out there, but you know, we could always use more. So we're really just trying to get students to tell their story through their art. And that's what it, that's what it becomes about. So um, as we continue to develop this relationship with Villa Maria, hopefully they, you know, will uh, bring us in to do more things. So it, it's interesting. You know, I know I was talking a little bit to the president before and about the uh, diversity yes. here at Villa. You know, Villa is a little, it's a smaller place, but it, mm -hmm. uh, he said I think he said it's the most diverse private institution here. I agree. And uh, is it a welcoming place for you guys? You feel welcome? Yeah, yeah, I feel welcome. Every time I walk through the doors, the staff is super encouraging. The students. Um, you know, they also come from a, from a background that I recognize, especially the ones who are uh, of, of black origin, uh, because, you know, this school, it's right on the east side of Buffalo, between e Buffalo and Chictawaga. I grew up in Buffalo, um, and it was really, it was, it, was, uh, it was a taboo to be a nerd, to be a geek, to be someone who's interested in stuff like Dungeons and Dragons, stuff that only white kids, quote unquote, do. Um, so, so I know a lot where they're coming from. I think we kind of uh, relate to that level, especially as some of their favorite things are becoming mainstream now. You know, Dungeons and Dragons just got a big movie. Um, some of the, the, the anime characters they grew up with have deals with Nike. Like you, you got Nike shoes or Adidas shoes that feature a character you grew up watching when somebody was telling you that character is stupid or you're childish for liking it. But now they're doing big, major, multi-million dollar deals with major companies. So it's like, it's cool to be a geek now. So I think that that plays a, a big factor in what we do. It's interesting how you said it, like it's, it's cool to be a geek now. And I was talking to John Washington, your partner yeah. in, in the Galactic Tribe, a little bit about this and talking about how you know, so many kids here in Buffalo, especially on the east side, mm -hmm. in poverty, you know, there's, you know, I mean, we, I, and a lot of think that that's a somewhat familiar story, but always yeah, yeah. worth repeating. Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, do you think, this is a good pathway for kids who are struggling? 100%. 100% because you get to see the things. It, is, it feels normal. You don't, you don't feel odd anymore. If you come to a comic convention, you don't feel out of place. You don't feel dorky. You don't feel geeky. And if you, if you feel geeky, you might find somebody who's geekier than you and totally cool with it, totally comfortable with it. So I think it's a great, a great way to find your comfort zone and, and find your people. You know, everybody needs to have a community no matter what they're into, whether it is uh, poker or whether it's Pokemon. <laughs> I like it. I yeah, like that was it. a good one. I don't know. Uh, I mean, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You're a creative guy. Yeah, yeah. And then finally, so what what kind of lesson is here at a place like this, at this on an event like this for everybody? That people that are out there. Like you said, you know, like for someone like me, you're we're saying like, you know, who's the geekiest guy here? It's probably the, the sixty one year old guy with the microphone and the ugly sweater. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, what kind of uh, 
What kind of lessons? What kind of lesson is there for everybody here? The lesson is there's a place for everybody as long as you have. Stop giving it up. You said that we get in the way of everybody. Yeah, it's all good. Uh, <laughs> the lesson is as long as there's um, there's somebody out there for everybody. There's a community out there for anything you're into, and that community, as long as it's welcoming, there's things that can grow there. And so, you know, if you, if you feel like you feel out of place in this world, maybe it takes you going online, maybe it takes you going outside. Either way, you know, there's somebody, you're not alone. You're not alone in this world at all. So that's the lesson I want to bring. What's next for the Galactic Tribe? The Galactic Tribe, uh, we got a number of things. We have a steam, a steam lab going on with the Foundry that's going on really well. Um, we have our Wakanda Alliance Academy, where we're hiring teams to learn how to build workshops alongside with us and learn different life skills for leadership development and career development. And um, just being out in the sunshine again. You know, Juneteenth is coming up. That's like our we'll favorite. Juneteenth? Oh yeah, you'll be seeing me at Juneteenth. Oh yeah, I'm out here. The sun is shining most of the time. Worse, sun or rain, like I'm gonna be having a good time in Juneteenth. So that's our big holiday. We got a party planned and everything. So we're looking forward to the rest of the year. Hey, well, thanks for taking us through Billicon. Yeah, thank you. See you next year. Again, a special thanks to Anthony Pierce of the Wakanda Alliance for sharing his Saturday with us at Villa Maria College's Villacon. This has been Buffalo What's Next, Producer Six. Highlights of earlier episodes. Today, we heard from Alex Burgos, members of the 4-H After School Program, and also Anthony Pierce from the Wakanda Alliance, who took us on a tour of Villacon. Don't forget, Buffalo What's Next is heard every weekday morning at 10 on WBFO, rebroadcast each weeknight at 9, it's available as a podcast, and also it's archived at WBFO.org. WBFO News History Bite, bringing you a peek into significant historical events for the listening area from the week of April 10th through April 16th. I'm your host and WBFO News Program Director, Tom Barich. Two western New York towns were established on the same day, April 11th, 1804. Both the town of Aurora and the town of Newstead, New York, were established, but Newstead's original name was actually the town of Erie, New York. Be listening to next week's History Bite to find out when the name change to Newstead occurred. Someone very associated with Western New York, Grover Cleveland, wasn't actually born there. Originally born in Caldwell, New Jersey, Grover Cleveland relocated to Western New York, first settling in Clinton, New York in 1850, then officially taking a clerical job at a law firm in Buffalo on April 12, 1855. April 14, 1882, both the Aurora and Buffalo Railroad Company and the Buffalo and Erie Railroad Company are established and incorporated. You've been listening to the WBFO History Bite. Discover more stories about Western New York's past on the Buffalo History Museum's website, part of the Buffalo Historical Society, which happened to have been established on April 15, 1862. Learn more at buffalohistory.org. For WBFO News, I'm Tom Barich.